Hello there, it's Jamila Jamel. Take a deep breath. Let your breath out slowly to the count of six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Do you feel better? Well, on my podcast, I Weigh, this month we'll be exploring ways to tackle mental health and feel better with guests like Simon Sinek from The Optimism Company, therapist Vienna Farron, comedian Neil Brennan, and many more. Listen to I Weigh wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit helpmebeme.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi friends, it's Sarah May. This is a special power-up episode. I'm just going to give you my most used tools. That sounds gross. <laughs> my mo- basically all the tools I use the most often. Put it that way. The things that um, I find the most useful right now. So I'm just going to go through them in list form. So the first one I'm calling... Uh, let me see, there's 12. I think there's 11. 11, 11 tools. So the first one I'm calling dabs of rubber cement. And that is, I would say this is the one I'm thankful for the most. It's basically Gottman, who is a researcher who did a lot of like the foundation of relationship therapy, I would say, like uh, research into how couples interact. This is one of his principles. But in in an average relationship, there will be moments where you can recognize that your partner is trying to make a repair attempt. That's what Gottman calls it. I like to think of it as like a little, putting a little dab of rubber cement, putting some sticky back in your relationship duo. And you just have to be scanning for those moments and also try try and do them yourself. But it's really important, I would say one of the most important things in a relationship is to accept those repair attempts and um, reciprocate them because it's really easy to get stuck in the uh, I'm pissed and I have a reason to be pissed and I'm still not forgetting the reason I'm pissed but if you look at your relationship in you know from far away over a long period of time it's really for the future of your emotional health it's important to accept the repair attempts when they're made they're just going to be putting a little dab of glue on you and you're going to have to say I receive it and give back, basically. Give another um, acknowledgement back when you see that happening. For example, it might be a compliment or somebody trying to bring some levity or humor to a conversation, and then your job is to joke back. And often your body will not be there yet. Like, you'll not be ready to do that. But you, I just want you to remember, like, they just they just dabbed me with glue. I got to... I got to give back to, I got to glue back. Because all that happens is the ratio of good to bad in your relationship, the good goes way up. You avoid a lot of wasted time and a lot of just bullshit arguments, you know, that take up like a full day. They can take up 15 minutes instead. You should, I want you to think about your relationship as a ratio and think about how you're affecting that ratio as it comes in a single day or a single hour. Your job is to make it 
more positive and help what you can help. It's the first one. The second one I'm calling, there's Lizard Man. So when I was little, um, me and my cousin, we actually created this person, this fictional person named Lizard Man, who actually wore um, all of our grandparents, my grandfather's like overcoat and like a fisherman's hat, sunglasses, had like a scarf around his neck. It was basically this like crazy <laughs> creature that would show up at random times. Usually it was me. But sometimes it was my cousin. And we would freak out our little sister and her little brother. And they believed in Lizard Man for many years. <laughs> Lizard Man would show up and then run away. So Lizard Man today in my life is basically the reactive brain when when I'm in that state of um, reaction and or I, you can think of it as the reptilian brain. That's another way to think about it. But it's it's basically when I'm in a defensive place, in a vulnerable place, or in just a compromised, chemically compromised place. My reactive brain is the one that's the most active, and it's this type of thinking will not give any weight to what you're supposed to do, what the most reflective, rational, empowered thing to do. It's the brain that will kind of cry and rant and complain. Think of it like an animal, a caged animal, or a child. It'll say a lot of things like, but I can't. And that's not fair. And like, how could they? And I, I don't like that. It's just very like pokey. With like, It's like a rat with a stick or a lizard man. <laughs> so anyway, in my own brain, I can say, to myself, like, oh, there's the lizard man. As soon as I recognize those types of feelings and thoughts, I know that that's the mindset and the energy that I'm embodying right now. And from here, everything will feel hard and unfair and impossible and at me and, you know, at the cost of me. So in general, that's just a sign for me to disengage, for me to take a break, for me to take a nap, make a sandwich, whatever it is, it's like, I would say most important is like, no, that's not me. That's like my energy state. It's the lizard creature in your life coming out. The second one. The third one is similar, um, but this is really specific to a just blood glucose. So I talk about blood glu glucose a lot, but I would say it's like such an important thing for you to just be able to recognize. This tool is called, that's the penny rattling uh, so basically recognizing when your tank is tapped and it's empty and you can just hear like a little rock rattling in this empty tank. I want you to actually get really familiar with what that looks like or feels like or sounds like in your body because it's so specific when you get into that state and it's so easily treated. And a lot of the time I would say, I would bet a majority of the population when they're operating in that state, they have no idea that that's what it's from. They think, I'm just pissed at the world and the world's pissed at me. And um, you get into that state on a pretty regular basis just by nature of having a lot of shit to do during the week. So I want you to, as a test, just to familiarize yourself with how this feels in your body, having low blood glucose, I want you to set a calendar reminder right now for Friday afternoon at... 4.55, and just call it glucose test. 
This is going to be a sampling. And that's if you have like a long work week. If you're on vacation right now, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> so save this test for another time when you've been like on the grind. Um, but this is going to be a sampling of what it feels like in your body to have low energy, like to have low blood glucose. So another way to do this would be at the very end of the day after you have um, had a lot of like decisions to make. You Maybe you've had a long day of shopping even. A lot of the things that set it up are like having to make choices, having to use self-control, having to perform and or act against your own emotions, like using a lot of self-control, a lot of deliberate kind of performance, kind of specifically suppressing emotions. So whatever it is, I want you to just do a little time test and see like, this is what this texture is in my body. This is what this feeling is like. And it's your brain will get really chattery and complainy and hate on stuff. And um, you'll have a very short fuse and you won't care. You will have very little impetus to like motivate. And this is usually when we crave sugar and salt and that's our body is trying to regenerate because we don't have enough of it. But that is just a good rule of being aware of when your tank is empty. I know that for myself, I just can discount a lot of stuff that my brain might say, like, you have to give a shit. Oh, no. And I'll be like, eh, no, maybe I don't. Maybe I just have to <laughs> eat some chocolate, poor me, and uh, zone out. So the third one. The fourth one is a mantra, and this is uh, what I use when someone is mean or cruel or um, I have an interaction that I'm just, like, upset by or shocked by. For example, I was driving uh, with a friend the other day, and then someone yelled out of their car at us, and it was, like, a really hostile thing, and we were both kind of like, ugh. <sighs> it was, like, on us for a while after that because it's not an average experience to interact with people that are in their base level emotions. So this is the mantra. What could have made a person act like this? What made a person this way? That's like my first thought is like, I like to tell myself the story of a person that goes there that is capable of that and what their childhood was like, for example, what their parents taught them about how to deal with anger. And as soon as you go into that, like, what are all the ingredients that create a person like that? Then you can immediately go to a much more compassionate place and realize completely it's that's got nothing to do with me. Like they're very unconscious and they're very um, they're stuck in a place that doesn't feel good to be. Usually, people that yell at other people feel small inside and they feel powerless, and um, they want to make an impact somehow. And they're, they're feeling, like, stepped on. So it's, like, a great way to just alleviate some of the hurt or also the fear and maybe the anger that it causes in you. Okay, next. The next one I have for you, I want to have, have a caveat before I say it. Don't let this creep you out. I can imagine myself listening to this and being totally turned off because I have baggage around religion. So that's my disclaimer. Don't be freaked out. Don't be creeped out. This one is uh, when I'm in, like, I would say, like, uh, let's say I'm in a fight with someone or I'm, like, really upset about something or I'm in a state of complaining about something, feeling, like, really uh, shat on by whatever situation. 
what I say to myself in my mind when I'm hitting that like base level is angels, please help me change my state of mind. So I like to imagine that there are little energy angels all around me and they can help me if I ask out loud. And this is kind of like, I would say a silly version of a prayer. I don't like to call it a prayer. I have baggage around religion, as I said. So this is really just about formalizing something as a true intention, despite how your body feels and despite how your brain is chattering at you about what's wrong and what's not your fault. So you could just say something aloud and not add the angels part. It's really more important just to ask for help from outside of you when you are in a a really bad state that wants to continue itself. You can feel the energy that wants to perpetuate it itself. It's like an addiction. Pain is an addiction. Um, anger is an addiction. Dark feelings are, they want more of themselves. Just that's what they're, they, you get into grooves of bad feeling. So this is just a powerful way to initiate the change of a uh, current state of feeling. And really things like that take much, they last much longer when you succumb and start practicing feeling that way and like continue the narratives. So I would say this is the initiation of redirecting a mental narrative. That's number five. Number six, this one's kind of a no-brainer, but I still love them. Mindfulness, mini mindfulness moments. So if you've forgotten to meditate in the morning or you don't, th you don't normally meditate or you haven't been to yoga in weeks, I think a great thing to do, especially if your brain is super chattery and you recognize, like, I've been lost in thought all day. I haven't really been present. I'm on a walk and I haven't been present this whole walk. In that moment, instead of beating yourself up, just have a mini mindfulness moment and focus on the sky, a plant, um, the sounds around you, just for even a minute. Just the goal is to kind of like zone out and try and get to a place of mental quiet even if it's really brief, those all count. They all really help retrain or kind of um, get your mind back into a habit of uh, resetting there and, and resetting to a kind of calmer, quieter baseline. So for example, um, I like to look at a flower, look at a leaf, like notice the breeze on a, a piece of greenery. It's like, I think nature, just tuning into nature is helpful. Um, also, just listening to the sound of your breath and watching your chest breathe in and out just for a, a second or two, a minute, ideally. And do those as often as you can. And more more than anything, when you notice yourself just like your brain chattering. All right, number seven is spotting the second arrow. So this is kind of a, Tara Brock talks about this a lot, but... A lot of the pain we experience, probably the majority of our pain, is in the analysis um, and the resistance to what we have to feel and not wanting to feel that thing. So they call that the second arrow of judgment because the first arrow is the pain, the thing that hurts, like having to do a job you don't want to do. That's like it hurts. You don't like doing it. But then the second arrow is the one that hurts more because it's like the, fuck, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. The resistance and then the analysis and the preoccupation with not wanting to do this thing, that takes up so much more energy and so much more time. And you, and it's optional. We feel like we have to. We feel like we get, we can't not think those things and feel those things. 
But if you actually focus on just removing that part of it, you'll see that whatever is causing you pain is such a small time ratio comparatively. It's like, I would say, it dramatically reduces the amount of pain and not funness that you have to go through. Same thing goes for um, something you don't, you're afraid of that's coming your way. It's like you're, the amount of excruciating agony we experience in anticipation of that thing is 10 million times worse than that thing will do. We as humans overestimate pain as the default setting of just who we are. We always overestimate the amount something will hurt. So this tool is really just remember, look for that second arrow. Am I creating this pain for myself? How can I disengage and soothe my body and my mind? Basically, it's like, how do I get out of my mind? And mindfulness is usually the answer. Great. The next tool, I've talked about this a lot on podcasts, but um, I just call out to myself pedestaling. That's my term for when you're making yourself higher or lower. It's usually when you're like in a kind of, you're in a fear state and you're you're putting yourself below someone or you're putting yourself above someone. And that's what we do when we attempt to control the experience and, and we try and separate from it. And so we, when we feel vulnerable, that's when we're like, I have to analyze it and separate from my body as a way to feel like I'm, I'm in control of how I'm feeling. So usually when I get into that state of being like, they're so blank, I'm so blank, I just say to myself, like, you're pedestaling. And that's just a reminder to disengage from the thought and step back and ask how I can support myself. Usually it's just saying, like, you're awesome. You're cool. Like, you don't, feeling vulnerable is okay. I think when you know what you're feeling, it helps you feel, um, you accept it, which is what brings me to the next one, which is naming. I use this all the time. But as soon as you can spot the underlying emotion, just give it a name. And as soon as you can do that, for example, vulnerability. I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling um, like I'm not good enough or I'm feeling not cool. Like as soon as you get that label on there, it immediately makes it less powerful and it moves you into a a different part of your brain that allows you to feel much more stable, less uh, triggered. So when you have any kind of emotion that's feeling like it's stirring a lot up, like if you think of your your belly like a pond and it's stirring up all that mud, if you're ever in an emotional state like that, first step for me is naming and where it is in your body. So it'll usually be like tightness, sadness, um, fear, chest, belly, like just really basic and it, immediately when you when you do that, you're just like relieving it. You're helping it pass through your body as opposed to like containing it. All right, number 10 on my list is the welcome mat. So this is kind of like, a, it's a pretty universal tool. This is an Al-Anon tool, but it, and it's super simple. When you find yourself, and I'll put a book actually, there's a Byron Katie she has a book on this. Um, it's like an expanded version of this process. It's basically when you are dreading something and you're wanting, you're, you're worried that something is going to happen that always happens 
and you're thinking like, this better not happen, this better not happen, and if that happens again, I'm going to be so mad. Maybe it's a thing that somebody does that annoys you. Maybe it's an event in your life that like causes you so much pain and agony. Put a welcome mat out for that thing. If it's causing you anguish, if it's making you fear and and, and like just anticipate too much, just literally welcome it. Put in your mind. I know this will feel like it's counterproductive and that you're working against yourself, but what you're actually doing is accepting the truth that this thing will probably happen and and when it happens you embrace it because that's just reality you're embracing reality you're welcoming it as opposed to fighting it and similar to the second arrow it removes so much of the pain that the thing causes you just because you've accepted it ahead of time and in the act of accepting that it will happen ahead of time You've just given yourself, like, I don't know what it is. It's like you've given yourself a, a thick mattress <laughs> that w- buffers you. Because when that thing actually happens, it doesn't hurt as bad. It doesn't make you as upset as it would have if you didn't put the welcome mat out. I don't know exactly why that works that way, but it does. So I would say try it just for the sheer reason that it will make it easier on you when the thing that you hate happens. Because it's like, it's going to happen whether or not you want it to or not. And in, in this case, you're powerless. Therefore, welcome it, accept it, embrace it, say high five, and give it a high five when it shows up. And the last tool I have for you on my faves list is, I'm calling the frequency knob. So... I want you to think of yourself as having like uh, like one of those old amplifiers, like a giant knob that's really fun to turn all the way up. And it, when you turn this knob up, it goes to elevated. That's the setting that you are best at, is when your energy is elevated, your mind's elevated. It's a great way to just remember um, who you are and what the world is like and what your life is really like. Uh And that's where you are the most capable. You are above the bullshit. You're not a victim of the bullshit. You're empowered. You're making moves based on all of your options versus reacting to the stuff that hurts you. So I would say I always think of myself as like tuning my energy constantly, like as a, a, I would say, daily practice or at the very least a weekly practice. Make a habit of tuning your energy and turning it up so that you're on the right frequency mentally, that you're not getting bogged down with the crap and that you're remembering to, to stay higher in and embodying what's great in your life. I would say a great way to do this tuning process is go through a journaling routine. I know this is like the dorkiest, dorkiest stuff I've, I have on this podcast, but gratitudes, writing three gratitudes, um, I also write I am statements. I am kind, loving, empowered, a beautiful light. Like basically adjectives that describe who you choose to be. It's a reminder to yourself of how you want to act. Um, and if you really want to amp up this knob, <laughs> this frequency knob, um, I would do also some super grats. And what I call super grats are I have like a a jar of them. You basically write on these the most amazing never forget for the rest of your life experiences on little pieces of paper. And then when you need a little tune-up, 
you read through them all and like you will be bawling your eyes out. So it's such a positive experience to go through this. Um, and if you guys, you might or might know, not know, I'm a huge fan of Pam Grout. I love her books because they're just full of joy. She's a joyful person and she has these really fun exercises. I don't take them too seriously, but um, I still partake in them. And I can imagine her stuff scaring a lot of people. I know it freaked the shit out of a few of my friends because they were like, this is creepy, weird, uh, psychic. Like they thought of it as just like um, a crazy person. <laughs> so like, don't be sense, don't be overly sensitive, I would say. If, you, if you're interested in looking into one of her books, um, it's, I would say they're just fun. It's, so this, I would say... These types of exercises of gratitudes and all that stuff, is, it's like an abbreviated version of a Pam Grout exercise. But um, I'm going to put one of her books in the show notes regardless, just because I think it's a great exercise to like remind yourself to be in a joy state. The real reason to do them is to keep your head and your energy up in the clouds. And you don't have to get freaked out or feel like they're coming from a culty place. <laughs> I think of it just as like j- tuning your your vision and your energy to joy so you're closer to the unhindered flowing clear energy state um so and that's when you can see the world for what it really is it's really easy to get trapped in thought and bogged down in the constant stream of to-dos and that's where we're we're kind of we're trapped and we're not grant we're not embodying our our highest self so I hope that made sense. <laughs> I hope that wasn't too hippie for you. Um, and before I close, I want to thank my latest sponsors. Carmen, thank you so much. Therese, thank you so much. Abby, Carol, and Cheryl, thank you all so much for your amazingly generous donations. You make such a big difference in this show. And if anyone has the means and you uh, you're able to please make a donation at helpmebeme.com. And if you don't have the means, please consider a review on iTunes or sharing it with a friend. Um, and I appreciate you guys so much. I literally literally read reviews on iTunes and I cry. It makes my day. Um, so in closing, I think one of the biggest differences in my life since, uh, I guess, taking on self-help as like a a lifestyle or a part of myself is really like I've built up the tools so that I have very little suffering in my life. I would say like it's still normal shit happens that I like don't want it to have happen and then I have to move through it. But the amount of time that it takes is so brief and that is just because I've I've learned to adapt principles and tools that I feel like are out there everywhere. I mean if you were to pick up pretty much any self-help book, it would probably help you. It's really about making sure you're curating all the right ones and trying them out for yourself and then building up a library so that you can call upon them when you need them the most. And I think as soon as you find the ones that work for you, the coolest thing that happens is you you hit like a ratio where there's a day you've done the same thing like throughout your life. Maybe it's like you're triggered by the same thing, you're insecure about the same thing, and then you apply a tool and you apply a tool. You hit like a point where all of a sudden you've had more positive outcomes than the negative outcomes, and the, the thing disappears. It's the coolest part of self-help.
tests. It actually works. So I hope you get some good tools out of this set, and if not, hopefully in one of my other episodes. And I believe tools work. It just starts by applying them and not thinking about it and applying them again and again and again. And then one day you notice you've come so far. (laughs) So I hope these help and I send you my love and don't forget to smile. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.